News Network. A politician on the campaign trail once said, we choose truth over facts. I don't need to mention any names, Joe Biden. But if you think that statement is reassuring, you're probably not going to like what happens next. Because you're in the home of blunt force truth, of conservative thought, not just talk, of facts that are truth. Welcome to TNN, the Truth News Network. And here's Dan Newman. Here I am, and here you are, and thank you for being here. Thank you for beginning this week with us at TNN Live. And I want to thank you for beginning every week with us at TNN Live. You know, we're about to start our fifth season of this show. Can you believe that? Yep, we started it on January 1st, four and... I guess 11 months ago, four years and 11 months ago, we're about to flip the calendar page to 2024 and we'll start a new year of TNN Live. Hey, listen, I hope you didn't get lost in all of the craziness over the weekend. This is Christmas, Christmas month, holiday season. This is the time of the year when everybody's supposed to just relax a little bit. Maybe sit back and reflect on at least the previous year, maybe the previous few years, and reflect on how blessed we all are. If you'll do that, if you'll be thankful for what you have, if you'll be thankful and appreciative for the opportunities that you've been given by your creator, not by your government, but by your creator, giving you the same chances as everybody else has. Think about that. The United States, from its founding, Everybody that comes in is guaranteed an equal opportunity to achieve your goals. It's not up to your government. It's not up to anyone else in your life but you. And we are promised, not that we're going to be successful, but when we try to do those things that we want to achieve and accomplish, nobody else is just going to push you down because of anything. The government the people, the we the people part of our government, which is the most important part of it, you know that, is not going to step in your way. In fact, we have collectively, the people of the United States through 240 years, we have together created an environment where our government will actually help you, in most cases, help you get the chance to do what it is you want to do. Well, I hope you had a good weekend, and I hope you're looking ahead and there are bright things there for you when you are tempted to look around and compare your life to the lives of others. Don't do it in a nasty way. Don't look at it and say, boy, man, they got lucky. Every once in a while, we get a break. Every once in a while, something that we do that we made a choice to try, it works out. Sometimes they don't work out. But if yours was one of those right now, it doesn't mean you're stuck there. It doesn't mean you have to stay there or that somebody put you there. Maybe you had a bad set of circumstances. Maybe you didn't get a good start. You can always start over again. Thankfully, many times you don't have to go all the way back to the beginning. You just make some adjustments and you get things right, and you just press forward, press in, and do your best with all the circumstances of your life. Again, it's Christmas season. 
this time of year we have added, uh, we always start the show with one song. Typically we come back at the end of the show and play another song to kind of calm you down going into the show and give you a push forward at the end of the show to make it be a, a good day. At least that part on will be a good day for you. And this being the holiday season, what better way to think about the holidays than to think about all this wonderful holiday music that we have around. It's pretty cool. It's the most wonderful time of the year. With the kids jingle belling and everyone telling you be of good cheer. It's the most wonderful time of the year. It's the happiest season of all. several other people. Um, but I'm always wondering, think about that song you just heard. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Actually, 
That's a simple phrase, right? And wouldn't that kind of fit into any Christmas perspective or background? So you would think it'd be easy to come up with a song like that, but think about it. You got to come up with the music, you got to come up with the words, and then you have to put it all together and instrumentally make it happen. I'm amazed at some of the great songwriters in this world. We have several really good friends that are amazing songwriters. You've heard of the the music group Forever Jones. They're out of our church, actually. These people wrote, wrote songs and still are writing songs that are Grammy-nominated. We have a group of family that live up in Cotton Valley, Louisiana, and they're in the Grammys all the time with country music. They write and perform their own music, but they write music for some other big country stars. It's called talent. And then it's one step further. It's called using your talent for some specific great objective. Dominique Jones, one of the Forever Jones family members, when she was 17 years old, she wrote a song, a very simple Christian song, And the title of it is He Wants It All. Got nominated for Grammys, uh, won a stellar award. That's black uh, contemporary music, contemporary Christian music. And their family has just got a plethora of songs like that. Great talent, but you got to make a commitment. It's like anything good. Anything worth having is worth hurting for. Everything comes with a price, doesn't it? Well, 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 where are we going today? Listen, Tuesdays are always Steve Baker's days on uh, TNN Live. Our second hour of the Tuesday show, Steve always joins us live. When he's involved in some heavy thing up in D.C., working on trials, doing those kind of things, sometimes he has to miss, but it's not very often. He and I spent a long time on the phone yesterday, and he left a message for you which we're going to get to, but he will be with us tomorrow. He is now headed from North Carolina to Washington, D.C., and there are some amazing things in the offing. You're going to hear from our Congressman Mike Johnson in town in Shreevesville over the weekend, and he was on Fox & Friends, their morning show. You're going to hear the message that he had to bring. We're going to break down a lot of the new things, political things that happened while you were doing your Christmas shopping, going to football games. We had championship football games, high school football games down at the Superdome in New Orleans. And, of course, soccer is up in full gear. It's just a busy time of the year. And I love the Christmas atmosphere. I really do. Yeah, there are some bad memories in my Christmas looking over my shoulder. December 22nd, 1969, my father left. That's a downer, don't you think? Why would you be happy at Christmas time about that? Well, when he did that, it was the beginning of a new part of my life. And I'm one of those kids. Well, I was a kid in 1969. I was one of those kids, but I'm always looking for the glass being half full, not half empty. And actually, I'm going to confess something to you. Back then when that happened, and a couple of days later when I thought through, and I didn't have it all figured out in my mind or my heart, I was hurt. We had a good family. 
well, we have a good family today. And it came and it stays because you work on it. Nothing's perfect. You just try to spend your effort and your time making things better. And if everybody involved in a family will do that simultaneously, it usually works out good. But I actually, for a long time, I felt guilty. Now listen to why I felt guilty. I didn't do anything to make my dad leave. My mom didn't. They just were through with each other. And I felt guilty because of this one thing. I don't even think I've ever told Marianne this. I was excited when it happened because it was opening a new door to me in life, a door I had never experienced. Now, should I have felt that way about it? Well, let's face it. I had two options. Accept it, push through it, do the best that I could do going forward, or just sit in the corner and cry at poor me. That doesn't do anybody good. And so guess what? There were four of us in the family, my older brother, mom, and dad. And all four of us, we moved on and made a better life for each of us, ourselves, Nobody came in and said, here's what you do, Dan. Here's what you do, Sam. Here's what you do, Big Sam. Here's what you do, Alma. No, nobody told us that. We just looked at the glass being half full, each of us, and we pushed on and made things as good as we wanted them to be and were willing to work to make them. So there is a Christmas message, and you throw the birth of Christ in the middle of that story And it just makes everything come together. In just a couple of minutes, I'm going to wait for more people to log in. This time of year, everybody's time is pulled here and there. So sometimes people that normally come at the very beginning of the show get a little lax at logging in. They know we're going to play a Christmas song and they're going to wind up a few things so they can get on here with us. We're going to go to Steve. You're going to hear from Steve. And this was a conversation he and I had last night about what's going to happen tomorrow. It is really ramping up in D.C., and it's not all about Hunter Biden. Hmm, what could it possibly be? Meanwhile, did you hear what happened down in South Texas over the weekend? Houston's brand new. They got a brand new mayor, and the new mayor took a big shot at my least favorite member of Congress, Democrat Sheila Jackson Lee. Now this guy, listen, this guy that beat her, she was running for a seat in the House of Representatives. That's where she's been for years. But she was going to leave Congress and run for mayor and become the mayor of her hometown, which, by the way, is my hometown. I was born in Houston. She wanted to be, she wanted to bring all her bullying to the people of Houston. And she just got floored. The new mayor aimed a parting shot at Sheila Jackson Lee after her campaign imploded over a leaked recording of her abusing and swearing at staffers. We played that whole thing here at TNN Live as much of it as you could because it was full of nastiness. I mean, vile stuff. So the guy that beat her is a, or was, 
a Texas state senator. His name is John Whitmire, and he's older than me. He's 74 years old. And he asked the voters of Houston to join hands with him after storming to victory in a runoff against Sheila Jackson Lee on Saturday, become the oldest big city mayor in the U.S. But there was no handshake for the defeated congresswoman. As I said, she had denounced her campaign workers as two GD big ass children and effing idiots who serve no GD purpose during a lengthy tirade in October. And the bleeps and everything that I just gave to you, those were her exact words. She was speaking to somebody, (laughs) doing all of that, saying all of that. He said this in his victory speech. People want to go to work for me because we respect people. We don't bully people. My family taught me to treat people the way you want to be treated. That works wherever you are, regardless of what community you're visiting. Treat these individuals like you want to be treated. The two Dems were pitched against each other for the runoff after topping the November 7th nonpartisan poll for the right to succeed retiring mayor Sylvester Turner. The veteran centrist heavily outspent Jackson Lee, who had won the backing of Hillary Clinton. Hey, 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 Hillary. She supported Sheila Jackson Lee, and that just made every Texan in Houston and the rest of Harris County want to vote for Sheila Jackson Lee. Oh, my gosh, those two together? What do you have when you put Sheila Jackson Lee and Hillary Clinton in a room, just the two of them? (laughs) I won't even say what you got but it's something that needs to be swept out of the room and then gone back and hosed out. You remember that leaked clip? It was posted online by far-right Texas blog Current Revolt, and it actually was the icing on the cake to get rid of her. It revealed her foul-mouthed response to a single staffer about a document she was looking for concerning Ovid Duncantel. Now, who the heck is Ovid Duncantel? Died at age 82 back in 2018. Duncantel was the founder of the Black Heritage Society, was heavily involved in the city's politics over the course of his lifetime. According to the blog, the staffer told Jackson Lee that another staffer, Jerome, don't know Jerome's last name, and I imagine Jerome doesn't want anybody to know his last name. Stafford told Jackson Lee that Jerome had the document she was looking for and he'd give and he'd give him a call about it. I don't want you to do a GD thing, Jackson Lee said. I want you to have a effing brain. I want you to have Reddit. I want you to say Congresswoman with such and such and such a date. That's what I want. That's the kind of staff that I want. And at that point in the clip, I'd play it for you again. We played it here shortly after it happened. But, I mean, it's too nasty. And I'm not a uh, innocent little guy either. I've heard it all. But at that point in the clip, the woman being heard continues to spew profanities as she explains to the staffer how she expects her workers to handle her calendar events. She also talked about the specific importance of Duncan Till in particular. 
during his lasting reputation in the Bayou City. Some stupid other MFer did it. And I don't have the information, she said. And then she mocked the staffer she was talking to. She mocked the staffer's response to her. Nobody sent me the information. I need to ensure schedule. And uh, you know, if Boo Boo did it, blank, 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 blank did it. Blank face did it. Nobody knows the GD thing in my office, okay? Nothing. Your job was to get it on the calendar, imprint it in your brain, or send me the info back saying, Congresswoman, I made sure that the OV Duncan Tell event that you gave me for a so-and-so date at 7 is on the effing calendar. Both of y'all are F-ups. It's the worst Shiite that I could have ever put together. Jackson Lee, she is no stranger to um, her words, F-ups, recording a video message in which she mistakenly told supporters to vote for her on December 7th rather than on the actual election date two days later. So she did last night. She did, well, night before last, late Saturday night, early Sunday morning. She did concede the election. She offered to work with Whitmire to make Houston better. I've had a great opportunity to serve this city, and yes, I was there during every disaster, bringing federal dollars here, she added. I never ran away from the fight to make Houston better, even though the outcome was not the way we would have wanted. The best thing for us to do is shore up and stand up and be committed to Houston moving forward. And that's what I will do. Now, who's this guy, Whitmire? He served in the Texas legislature since 73. Think about that, 1973. Uh, You do the math, that's 50 years. 50 years. (laughs) It makes me old, doesn't it? He focused on reducing crime in his pitch to voters, littered his social media feeds with messages of thanks to his campaign team as Election Day approached. Great cities solve their problems, he said after the victory. We will face challenges, but I see that as an opportunity, and I need you to join hands with me. We'll meet our challenges, and it'll be an opportunity to show the nation what the city of Houston can do. So, Whitmire said it, so let it be done. Well, while we were enjoying our weekend, Joe Biden and his crew were up there and they were surreptitiously finding ways to undercut the Constitution and make a decision that normally is supposed to be made by the people's representatives in the U.S. Congress. Joe Biden also... His cabinet members, several of them, they approved, they did, not Congress, not the people's reps, the Biden administration approved an emergency $106 million worth of arms to be sold to Israel. A deal over, and I said million, it's supposed to be billion. A deal over the roughly $106 billion package promoted by Joe Biden 
which primarily aimed to fund Ukraine with some money for Israel, remained stalled as Republicans in Congress endeavored to include U.S. border security in the supplemental. Saturday, the administration revealed it found a workaround that allowed for nearly 14,000 tank cartridges to be sold to Israel under the pretense of emergency. In a release from the U.S. Department of Defense's Security Cooperation Agency, they explained that Secretary of State Antony Blinken had justified the emergency to Congress on Friday, thereby waiving the congressional review requirements under Section 36B of the Arms Export Control Act as amended. The United States is committed to the security of Israel. It's vital to U.S. national interest to assist Israel to develop and maintain a strong and ready self-defense capability. The proposed sale is consistent with those objectives. Israel will use enhanced capability as a deterrent to regional threats and to strengthen its homeland defense. Israel will have no difficulty absorbing this equipment into its armed forces. The proposed sale of this equipment and support will not alter the basic military balance in the region. So again, details of all this money secured 13,981 120-millimeter high-explosive anti-tank multipurpose with tracer tank cartridges. That's all one sentence of explaining. Also included technical documents, support services, and other related elements of logistics and program support. So, speaking to the sale Bypassing Congress, Blinken joined that bastion of journalistic integrity yesterday morning, ABC News Sunday. He spoke with Martha Raddatz and said, when it comes to the weapons that we transfer, there are rules that go along with them. Those rules apply to Israel as they do to any other country, except Iran, including the way they're used in the needy, including Hamas the imperative of respecting international humanitarian law. In the case of these particular weapons that you mentioned, Israel is in combat right now with Hamas, a group that viciously attacked it on October 7th. And what he didn't say was that's the group that the president, 90 days before this started, gave them $450 million in financial aid. He didn't say that, but that's the facts. It continues to launch rockets against Israeli civilians. This is Hamas. And we want to make sure that Israel has what it needs to defend itself against Hamas. A small portion of what has been requested is going through on an emergency basis. Have you noticed, like I have, pretty much here's the way Joe Biden works. When he finds somebody in the United States, some company, some cause, or any place on the planet that he feels like can do something for him and make him look much better than he really is as he is still telling us he's going to run for re-election. He'll come out and just arbitrarily with no approval by Congress, he'll give away billions and tens of billions of U.S. tax dollars worth of aid. You remember that first little faux pas that he did 
He was campaigning at the time using taxpayer money on it, by the way. What am I talking about? He made a huge deal. I am going to forgive your college debt. Billions of dollars. I'm going to do it. I'm going to wave my presidential Joe Biden wand and all your college debt's going to be erased. Now, you know where this all came from? When Barack Obama was president, Joe was vice president, all of the financial aid for colleges, all of it around the world, the government wasn't involved in any of it. Private entities, banks, loan companies did. Universities set these uh, loan things up for incoming students with different banks around the nation. Barack Obama saw all that money out there. Oh my gosh, it was billions of dollars. And he said, you know what? We need to get our hands on that. Now, I didn't talk to Barack. I don't know that he said exactly that. But he came out and made a big deal about it. And you know what that was? And it is today still buying votes. Young people coming up. Everybody in America almost, without exception, has faced needing, if you want to go to college, even business school, get some loan money. Low interest, very easy on you when you go to pay it back if you keep paying your bills. But why should these young people, would they be saddled with college debt? So what did Barack do? They pulled that whole operation out of the private sector and made it U.S. government, which is U.S. taxpayer. We took over all that debt. The nation did. It's it's still out there. Now, those people that barred it are still on the hook for it in almost every case. So now, Joe's looking horrible as a candidate to run again. He's got to find some secrets. So even before this last spate of College debt stuff came up a couple of weeks ago. He just arbitrarily released it. Lawsuits were filed, went up through the appeals process, gets to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court tells Joe Biden, that's illegal. That has to come from Congress. And so they canceled the first part of it, but only the part of it that hadn't already been forgiven before the Supreme Court weighed in. And so what did Joe do last week? He decided, you know what? I got to double down on that. My numbers are still going down. I got to turn that around. I'm just going to thumb my nose in the Supreme Court's face, and I'm going to go ahead and forgive some more college debt, which he did. And he knows he'll get slapped on the hands, but this time it might be a little tougher because his doing it again, regardless of what the Supreme Court said about it, He's going to get popped for it. Of course, see, here's the problem for you and I. Who holds the Supreme Court? Who holds them accountable for what they do? Great question. Yeah, they can get popped by Congress. They can actually be impeached. But who goes after them when they mess up? The only place that they could possibly have to be accountable to in that regard is the Department of Justice. 
So what's going to happen? They overstep what the Supreme Court ruled, which is the constitutional entity that weighs in and resolves all these kind of issues between departments of the U.S. government, especially conflicts between the government and the people of the United States, and what they come out with, what's their outcome, is always, has always been the way it has been adjudicated as it's playing out, whatever it is, across the nation. Not now. Joe Biden's president. He can do what he wants. He can say what he wants. And the Department of Justice that would have been the entity that would have gone after the Supreme Court for doing something wrong, or if somebody out there in the nation does something 180 degrees opposite of what the Supreme Court said, the DOJ would go prosecute them. Uh, Have you seen this DOJ go after anything, anybody regarding anything that Joe Biden said or did? Nada. It hadn't happened. So what can Joe say? I'm the president looking at all of these young Americans that have been saddled with this huge debt situation for college tuition. I'm going to step in. Congress, those evil MAGA Republicans, they don't care about the young people of America. I'm going to step in. I'm going to ride on my white horse, and I'm going to slash and burn all that college debt. And nobody can do anything about it. You know why? I'm Joe Biden. And everybody's going to clap and applaud, and they think he's going to get a bunch of votes from that. You see, Joe's big problem is he doesn't understand how the political system works. If anybody on the planet should understand would be 50 years in the government, Joe Biden. He doesn't have a clue. And also, he never makes decisions that come out of a thoughtful Let's examine every piece of it process. He never goes there. I mean, if he's sitting on the potty in the morning and an idea pops up and it's something he wants to do, he just goes and does it. And he doesn't listen to anybody. Maybe he listens to Barack. Maybe he listens to Jill. I don't know. Not many out there uh, have a pipeline into his feeble brain. That's pretty obvious. But he still is getting stuff done. Every day. Steve Baker came on with me yesterday. Not on the show, but we did a audio soundbite. Something big breaking in D.C. Steve's going to be with us tomorrow in the second hour of the show, 10 to 11 o'clock. But he wanted you to know what is blowing up today, Monday, right now in our government, and it impacts you. We're going to take our first break. Coming out of that break, Steve Baker. Hi, welcome to the Subway ad for the $3.99 6-inch sub of the day. How do you want it? Secret DJ set. At a retirement home? Weird. I like it. DJ sandwich in the house. What did he say? Italian BMT $3.99. I called the EMT. Turkey breast $3.99. How much? $3.99. $3.99. $3.99. Bingo! 
participating shops. Prices and subs included may vary. Additional charge for extras, plus tax. No additional discounts or coupons applied. We're outside Pilgrim Furniture and Mattress City where parents are disappearing. Excuse me, are your parents in there? Yeah. They can't decide if they should take no interest for 60 months with no money down or an extra $100 off every $9.99 they spend. It's a tough choice. But they've been in there for six hours. I want dinner. Parents, if you're a pilgrim, please make a decision. Here's good news. Even with high unemployment, there's still a need for hundreds of thousands of cybersecurity professionals in the U.S. right now. And my computer career is training people to help meet the demand. No IT experience? No problem. Take the free career evaluation today at mycomputercareer.edu. Start your new life as an IT pro in as little as four months. Grants covering up to 53% of the cost are available to those who qualify. It's not rocket science. It's mycomputercareer.edu. Those in the know like to stay in the realm of innovation. Join them. It's easy to keep up with the latest trends and own the latest tech with BMW Select as it offers you the option to drive a brand new BMW every three years. You also get to tailor your deal to suit your pocket and your lifestyle. Visit select.bmw.co.za for more. BMW Select. Dynamic finance for ultimate control. BMW Financial Services is an authorized FSP and registered credit provider. T's and C's apply. Partisan spin? Not here. Identity politics? Go somewhere else. This is TNN, the Truth News Network. Here's Dan Newman. Well, I told you, we um, had a conversation with Steve Baker yesterday. A lot of big things on the horizon, and they are breaking even as we speak. So what is this all about? Well, as we all know, Steve Baker is wrapped up in and basically has become the number one go-to conservative host, writer, reporter, videographer, for all things to do with January 6th and all the debacle afterwards, which we're still in. We still have people in jail. And as evidence has been repealed, bit by bit, we're finding out much of what has been reported and even testified in federal court that resulted in these people being sentenced and put in jail was false. Joining us now. Hi, welcome to the Subway app for the 399 From Washington, D.C., Steve Baker. And no, it is not Tuesday, his regular day. But we want to make sure you know about what is coming on Tuesday on the second hour of the show, which belongs to Steve Baker. Hey there, buddy. Hey, man. How are you today? I am good and I am anxious. And as we play this and our, vo- our audience listens, They're going to be very curious about what's going on. Big news breaking in D.C., and you're right smack dab in the middle of it. Tell us what's happening. Yeah, on Friday, uh, myself through uh, Blaze, we have released brand new information regarding Capitol Police Officer Harry Dunn and an anonymous letter that he um, wrote and then distributed all the way back in May of 2021, just 
four or five months after January 6th. And this was a highly political letter. It was a partisan political letter that he used on stolen a United States Capitol Police letterhead and sent out. He violated many policies, like several of the department policies in putting this anonymous letter together. And then in addition to that, we have learned uh, through Blaze Media, as I'm required to say, that the, uh, um, <laughs> the, the impetus for this letter was given to him by Representative Jamie Raskin uh, from Maryland and, of course, a Democrat. And Harry Dunn also happens to live in his district. And so under the direction of Jamie Raskin, this officer violated multiple department policies in drafting this letter anonymously using company time, company resources, company letterhead. And then in addition to that, Dan, he went to the Capitol press room and received the assistance in the drafting of this anonymous letter from, as he says, various females in the Capitol press pool. But more importantly, we do have one name that has been revealed to us, and that is the name of CNN um, uh, legal affairs and law enforcement uh, reporter by the name of Whitney Wild, who he handed a copy of the completed letter to, and then she distributed it among other media sources. And then, of course, Jamie Raskin's chief of staff distributed that letter throughout Capitol Hill to all the other chiefs of staff or all of the other Congress members there on that day. And why this is significant is very simply this, Dan, is that not only in the process of doing something that was um, deceptive and violating multiple um, uh, Capitol Police policies, when first confronted about it, Officer Harry Dunn lied, which means that that's called a terminable offense. He should not have been allowed to continue as a Capitol Police officer. He should have been terminated, which more importantly leads us to October of 22 when he testified against the Oath Keepers in that trial. He should have never been allowed to testify in that trial. And at the very least, the defense teams should have been aware of this disciplinary action and they should have been aware of his deceptive nature and that should have been part of the trial if he was, in fact, allowed to testify anyway. That makes two down now, Dan. We have now Harry Dunn and we have Officer Lazarus, who also um, perjured himself and should not have been allowed to testify in that trial. And that's where we're at today. So I think we can talk about this in great detail tomorrow if you'd like to. I think Tuesday's going to be a good day in our second hour, don't you think? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> <laughs> so... Folks, you just heard another blockbuster. How many people are in jail today because of the perjury of these two officers and uh, the sabotage by a member of Congress, Jamie Raskin? This is going to be fun. Steve's on his way to Washington, D.C. He'll be with us live there tomorrow morning, Tuesday morning. Make sure you're here for the second hour 10 o'clock straight up central, Steve Baker breaks it all open. And by then, he may even have more. Wow. Well, you heard it yourself. Uh, can you believe now? Can you believe that Jamie Raskin, congressman from Maryland, actually 
contributed to was part of the lying story that sent some of these people to prison. And he's been busted. And the stories that busted him came from testimony and interviews. Our very own Steve Baker initiated, found, documented, and spent, you remember those hundreds of hours he spent in that video room at the at the uh, state, uh, at the U.S. Capitol, going through 40 plus thousand hours of video and then tying with time and date stamps and all that video, it's all there, putting that side by side of the details, the specific details given by these two officers and then just for a second, forget about the letter <laughs> that was so illegal that they put together and sent and then implicated CNN one of their important reporters, and Jamie Raskin. Now, we know, we talk about this all the time. We think we think about it. You've thought about it. You and your friends have thought about it. It's just factual now. Media's in the tank. They are in the tank. Today's media belongs. They shouldn't even be called media. They should be called the mouthpiece of, for Joe Biden and others in the Democrat Party because that's what mainstream media is all about. That's all mainstream media is about, is taking care of the Democrat Party and all those that are in office today. And don't worry about diminishing someone else that's innocent or even sending them to jail. That's just part of the cause. That's what we've got to do to prop our political party up and if we'll keep doing it and working hard, we'll do another couple of million illegal aliens in here every year if we can keep a Democrat in the White House. And that way we can make a permanent political party that is controlled mostly by illegal aliens. And they're all going to be obligated in every election. They got to vote for every Democrat. Why? Because we, the Democrat Party, we're the ones that open the door so you and your family could come up here and leave, live free, live the American dream. You only have to pay one thing. We're going to pay for your transportation. We're going to pay for your food, your clothing, your housing, your health care, and we're going to give you a place to live and a job. Well, maybe you don't even have to work a job. We're going to see to it you have the money you need, but you got to vote for us. You've got to vote for us. And I know many of you through the last few years when I brought that up and worded it that way, you laugh at me. There's no way, Dan. That's not going to happen. Well, guess what? It's happening right now. And it's getting worse. So you need to put your head down, keep your eyes on what's going on around you and think it all through. And it's time for us all to stop being silent. We need to speak up. We need to talk about this stuff within our own circles. Most people don't understand it. Most people don't have the chutzpah to spend investing the time, the effort and energy to find out what's really going on. If you walk down the street 
and somebody that you knew walked up and you started talking about any of this and you said, and I'm going to paraphrase what you would, you might would say, but Hey, listen, did you know that Joe Biden and his administration, everybody in it, along with activist Democrats in Congress and in the administration, they have purposely opened the southern border up for these years and kept it open. And not only done that, they created a scenario sending out calls to illegals around the world, not just Central and South America, around the world, 140 different countries are sending illegal immigrants to the southern border and we're opening up and inviting them in. And not only are we inviting them in, we're promising and we're also doing after they get here, we'll check them in at the border, but then we'll turn them over to these uh, not-for-profits that are supposedly doing good things, taking care of these people and doing it because they're good people and they're not-for-profits, so they're just doing it out of the good of their heart. But guess what? We're funding these the people with tax dollars. We're giving them what they call grants to sound good, but we're giving them tens of millions of dollars, and they're pushing these people out. Eight million so far under Joe Biden in just three years. Eight million of them, and we're taking care of them. We have no idea who they are. We don't know where they come from because they dropped their IDs. I don't even know if you know this, but there are places along the southern border, not on our side, but along the southern border, where these cartel thugs, they tell these people, leave all your IDs and stuff here. That way they won't, they being the United States, they won't be able to deport you back to where you came from. And they can't do it legally. The law says they're supposed to immediately transport you back to your nation of origin, but they can't tell which nation you came from. That's how intricate the Mayorkas biden flood across our southern border has been premeditated from the beginning, and there's no end in sight. You said that kind of stuff to the people on the street, they'll look at you like you just dropped off of Mars and hitchhike to get down to their subdivision. But those are the facts. That is exactly the way and the reasoning it's happening. A permanent Democrat Party majority. So we can finally see our way to make the authoritarian government of the United States unilaterally in control of every part of life for every American. There's even a movie out right now on Netflix that the two executive producers of are Michelle and Barack Obama, and it talks about this very thing, the end of the world beginning in these strange ways. I can't think of the name of it, but if you if you just do a search, uh, what Netflix movie is out today, executive producers, Barack Obama and Michelle Obama, you'll find it. I watched it over the weekend. It'll scare you to death. If it doesn't scare you, it'll get you thinking. It will. We're facing this. You can't deny it anymore. We used to call it conspiracy theory. Now, 
as it's playing out every day, we're actually getting far more facts, far better facts and information from doing our own investigation. And instead of watching the politician up there waving his hand in the air saying, look here, look here, here's the truth, here's the truth. You don't need to look at that hand that he's waving in the air. Look at the other hand behind his back. That's where the truth is. And if they're not willing to sit down and have a conversation, a conversation and talk diligently and discuss things, you know for a fact they're not representing the people. They're representing the big government. Speaking the truth, the left doesn't want you to hear. TNN, the Truth News Network. Raid Shadow Legends. I mean, wow. <laughs> you pick your champions, they're glorious, and their shields, oh, they glisten like uh, wet otters. But the bad guys, they're Lovecraftian, they're spooky, they're um, um, big. And then you go to battle, and it's like, and finally, your foe is vanquished, and that satisfaction is such a primal feeling. Ooh, download Raid Shadow Legends. Play for free. Grab an ice-cold can of Celsius and stay active and energized all day. Celsius is better for you energy, made with premium ingredients, zero sugar, and seven essential vitamins, with no high-fructose corn syrup, no aspartame, no preservatives, and no artificial colors or flavors. Celsius is just the essential energy you need to keep you fueled and active all day. Celsius, essential energy, live fit. Now find Celsius at Celsius.com or a retailer near you. Well, we haven't forgotten about the war that is ongoing. It is. And it's, 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 it's ramping up. There's something big in the air. Um, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu over the weekend came out and gave a speech, and he said that Hamas members are giving up and just walking across the lines down there and giving themselves up to the Israeli IDF the Israeli Defense Force. And uh, he said it's happening in the hundreds. Hamas spokesman Abu Obaidah has delivered a chilling threat to Israel this morning. Meet our demands or forget about getting the remaining hostages back alive. Neither the fascist enemy and its arrogant leadership nor its supporters can take their prisoners alive without an exchange and negotiation and meeting the demands of the resistance, he said. That was a televised demand that he made. Meanwhile, Netanyahu had a message of his own, surrender or immediately die. In recent days, he said, dozens of Hamas terrorists have surrendered our forces. Netanyahu said, on a television broadcast, they are laying down, Hamas is laying down their weapons and handing themselves over to our heroic fighters. It'll take more time, he said. The war is in full swing, but this is the beginning of the end for Hamas. 
I say to Hamas terrorists, the Prime Minister said, it is over. Don't die for Hamas Chief Yahya Senwar. Surrender now. The ceasefire between Israel and Hamas had collapsed after one week. Why did it collapse? You haven't heard anybody talking about it. It's because Hamas failed to release all of its women hostages, which they had made part of the deal and they had agreed to. And then add to that, they violated the terms of the temporary truce, the other terms. State Department spokesperson Matthew Miller, he speculated that Hamas held on its female uh, female hostages to keep them from talking about with the world the horrors they experienced while they were captives. Miller said, we've obviously seen the reports that Hamas has committed sexual violence. They've committed rape. We have no reason at all to doubt those reports. Now, the ceasefire did see more than 100 women and children hostages go free. Proof, said Obaida, of Hamas's credibility. For every hostage who was returned, three Palestinian prisoners were sprung from Israeli jails. Israeli National Security Advisor Jachi Hangbi suggested the war could drag on for months with key ally the United States not setting a deadline for Israel to achieve its goals. That's according to the Daily Mail. The evaluation that this can't be measured in weeks is correct, he told Israel's Channel 12. I'm not sure it can be measured in months now. In a statement that was reminiscent of former Iraqi Minister of Foreign Affairs Mohammed Saeed al-Sayaf, better known to Americans as Baghdad Bob, a senior member of the Mosque's political bureau declared that history would remember Gaza as the clearest of victories for the militant Palestinians. Boy, they got a long way to get the American people and people in other parts of the world to believe that one, don't they? But he still said, quote, the end of the occupation has begun in Gaza. IDF chief Herzai Halvi speaking over the weekend at a ceremony at the Western Wall in Jerusalem's old city, painted a bit of a different picture. Every day we're seeing more and more terrorists killed, more and more wounded, and in recent days we're seeing terrorists surrendering. This is a sign their network is falling apart, he said. A sign that we need to press harder. So what is... What is the view of all of this, the factual, not the political view, but the view that's coming up and people are seeing for themselves on the ground? So the propaganda war over there, it's no less intense than the fighting on the ground. And with IDF forces continuing to root out Palestinian terrorist group Hamas in the Gaza Strip, there are numerous reports of the militants surrendering in, in mass. Pro-Hamas contingents insist these are not Hamas terrorists, but civilians. Though there are plenty of photos and even videos of shirtless men appearing to be surrendering to Israeli forces. It's difficult to verify when the pictures were taken or where and who the men are. But what is clear is that those who are surrendering are shirtless and have been stripped down to their underwear. 
as they await processing. IDF spokesman on the documents, terrorists turn themselves in and provide intelligence for the continuation of fighting. The tweet states, on the way to the interrogation room, that's a tweet accompanied by a picture of these shirtless men, terrorists who surrendered in Gaza. So the UK newspaper, The Times, hedged its bets. They said in a tweet that included a picture of a large number of military-aged shirtless males, quote, Palestinian men stripped as they surrender to IDF in Gaza. Hamas fighters may have been among those held, reports suggest. One thing is certain, though. The common theme here, the men are stripped down to their skivvies, which pro-Hamas factions were quick to claim was abuse. However, considering Hamas is a terrorist organization, the measure is necessary to make sure the captured are not hiding a weapon or explosives. In one video, a purported stripped-down Hamas fighter can be seen walking across the bombed-out street while he was carrying an automatic rifle above his head before he surrendered the weapon to the IDF. It's kind of like, who do you believe? Who do you believe? In spite of all the learned reports from learned people that we've heard from, AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, she's the chief of the squad. She is railing every day. If she gets anybody with a television camera that will talk to her and video her, she's shameful. She's shameful of the U.S. veto of U.N.'s ceasefire resolution last week. She denied her own administration, her own president, the Biden administration, as shameful after our U.S. vetoed a U.N. resolution that called for an immediate ceasefire in Gaza. It doesn't matter what the U.N. calls for. Israel's going to do what's best for Israel. It'd be nice if our leaders would do the same thing. In fact, you want to hear my thoughts on the United Nations real quick? It's real short and succinct. Withdraw from the United Nations, offer them to put up the money to buy the building and the outbuildings around the United Nations building in southeast Manhattan, and the price would have to be somewhere around 75 to $100 billion. It's the most prime real estate in all of New York, all of Manhattan, and then kick the United Nations out of the U.S., period. On Friday, a resolution for a humanitarian ceasefire. What the heck does that mean, humanitarian ceasefire? Now, wasn't that what it was supposed to be that first time? Benjamin Netanyahu told us to go pound sand for weeks before he finally caved in and agreed to it because he knew what was going to happen was exactly what happened. Hamas doesn't honor the deal. That's the way they function. I mean, it's kind of like when you catch somebody that you think is lying, you find out they're lying, and then later you find out they're lying one more time, and you keep on interacting with them. Which of the stories do you hear that you can actually believe? How can you know if and when they ever tell the truth? So the Israeli people... Benjamin Netanyahu, Prime Minister, they don't believe anything Hamas says. 
Shameful, wrote the socialist diva, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez on Twitter, expressing her displeasure with Biden's foreign policy. The Biden administration can no longer reconcile their professed concern for Palestinians and human rights while also single-handedly vetoing the U.N.'s call for a ceasefire and sidestepping the entire U.S. Congress to unconditionally back the indiscriminate bombing of Gaza. The Biden administration can no longer reconcile, she said, their concern. She's the great arbiter of all things true and false, right? She can read people's minds, right? The vote in the 15-member Security Council at the UN on that resolution was brought forward by the United Arab Emirates. The vote was 13 to 1, with the U.S. being the sole vote against. And just so you know, 13 to 1, it doesn't take but one member of the Security Council to kill whatever is being voted on, just one. What's surprising to me is we were the only ones that did it. It drew the support of key allies, including France and Japan. But that wasn't in the vote. She just got blasted for her blasting of the Biden administration. Shameful for you, AOC, one tweet says, you have backed this warmongering imbecile and sung his praises after getting into office. You betrayed all those that first elected you while making a lot of noise and boosting your profile, your votes reveal your cowardice and your deceit. Why isn't this performative leech screaming for surrender Hamas as loudly as she slags her country? You are a shameful liar and Hamas supporter. Biden can easily reconcile it. Hamas staying in power guarantees war and more deaths to Palestinians and other free people. If you gave a damn about them, you would support the eradication of Hamas, but you prefer virtue signaling on the expense of Jews and their lives. Now, there may be some good news about all this. A former UK commander in Afghanistan over the weekend said this, IDF's, Israeli Defense Forces, civilian casualty ratio is better than most, he said, if not at all, other armies. Now, what's this about? Well, this guy says that Israel's military has achieved a much better civilian to combatant casualty ratio in battle than most other, if not all other armies. Now, this guy is Colonel Richard Kemp. He's the former commander of British forces in Afghanistan. He acknowledged the IDF's success in spite of the fact that Hamas fights from within the civilian population and use hundreds of human shields and deliberately try to force the IDF to kill as many of their civilians as possible so that the world turns to Israel and falsely condemns it for war crimes. In a video clip posted on Twitter on Thursday, Colonel Kemp noted that the IDF is currently estimating civilian-to-combatant casualty ratios at around 2 to 1. That means two civilians for every fighter killed. Two civilians for every fighter that's killed. 
Think about it. That's a good thing? I guess when you get in an all-out war like this, that is a good thing. That means two kill for every fighter. While civilian casualties during combat are always devastating and tragic, he said there's a feature of almost every war. Many times I've seen the horror of civilian casualties despite immense efforts of the British Army and our allied armies to take so to try to avoid those civilian deaths. By the way, he led British forces in Afghanistan in 03 and later he joined the committee supervising the country's intelligence services. And he pointed to the UN estimates that the civilian to combatant death ratio in conflict since the Second World War averaged nine to one. That is a shocking nine civilian deaths for every combatant. What a price. What a price that war attaches to people and their lives. Let's face it. Anytime there's a war, people are going to die. That is a blast that it just keeps on turning over and turning over. And it's unbelievable. Look at the beginning of this thing. Now, I'm, I'm tired of people weighing in about Palestinian people not being involved with Hamas, not being terrorists. They're just good people that want to get along and live with their own ideology, their own government, making their own choices and decisions. Let me just say this. Among every group of people on planet, everyone, even the jihad, the pure jihadists, the ones that we're not even calling them jihadists, they're terrorists, the ones where they lopped off the heads of innocent people, and televised them to show the world. They shot him and killed him. I'll never forget they caught one soldier. Actually, it was a pilot. This is during the Iraq War, the last one. And they put him in a cage and televised, pouring gasoline all over him, setting him on fire and watching him die. Nobody wins in a war. When it comes down to it, at the end of this, somebody's going to be declared, hey, Hamas won or Israel won or whoever, Hezbollah, any of the other named organizations that are involved and some that are unnamed, they're all going to claim that they got the victory. But it, it doesn't matter. Nobody wins. People die. How can you ever think that getting into a struggle, a fight or whatever, that there's ever going to be a winner because the people who this is supposed to being done for, thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people have their lives taken just because they're who they are. How can anybody say any part of that, that somebody wins? Nobody wins. I guess maybe Satan and his minions that they go after to destroy every human being, every one of God's beings that he created, just so they can rub it in God's eyes and say, we got you, we got you. Wow. You want to move on? Let's move on. Let's get out of the war thing. 
unless something big comes up. Let's talk about some other things. The National Doctors Network is facing a huge lawsuit. Now, that's not unusual in medicine, is it? Especially with doctors. This one's about a hiring initiative that offers a large, a big bonus that is alleged to be discriminatory by being limited to only black applicants. This is a group of doctors, Nationwide Doctors Network. They're trying to find doctors. Want you to apply. Big, big bonus. $100,000 signing bonus. But they're not making it available to white people. Vituity, V-I-T-U-I-T-Y is the name of the organization. And it's 100% owned by Doctors Nationwide. It's a medical network that specializes in a wide range of care. They're drawing criticism over its what they're calling Bridge to Brilliance program. Offers a $100,000 signing bonus, but not to white people. Now, this enticement violates federal discrimination laws. Can you believe they're doing that? Black patients want the best doctors and the best medical care, not doctors that are racially okay. Batuity's Bridge to Brilliant program, which offers physicians hiring opportunities, sign-on bonuses on the basis of race, it's abhorrent and rightfully illegal. The initiative was put together to bridge the gaps in access and opportunities in healthcare for historically marginalized communities. That's according to Vituity. Led by our DEI health equity team, this program provides aspiring and current healthcare pros with the resources and support needed to thrive on their journey in medicine. Medical staffing agencies like Vituity are given the important responsibility of offering medical positions to the most qualified medical professionals. Like all aspects of healthcare, patient safety and patient concerns should be primary, not the skin color or the racial makeup of their physician. Medical pros should be hired on how good they are at what they do. One organization has a program that has gone after this and has identified it and is calling it out for what it is. It's racism. We will vigorously defend the program, continue our mission to enhance healthcare services for all communities. Diversity, equity, and inclusion, DEI, it's in our DNA. That's what this vituity is boasting about, this network for these physicians. So in a lawsuit, Do Not Harm, another not-for-profit, argues that it has at least one member referred in the suit as Dr. A, who is ready and able to apply for the incentive program if Vituity stops discriminating against non-black applicants. Non-black physicians like Dr. A are ineligible to apply to and are excluded from Vituity's program. They cannot compete for the higher bonuses and other benefits on equal footing because of their skin color. They're bragging about it publicly. 
The lawsuit alleges the $100,000 reward is much higher than the normal signing bonuses. The lawsuit argues Vituity is violating Section 1981 of the Civil Rights Act, which protects the equal right of all persons to make and enforce contracts with no respect to race. Section 1981 also prohibits intentional race discrimination in the making and the enforcement of public and private contracts. So we're not going to (coughs) spend, excuse me, we're not going to spend a lot of time rehashing this. It is what it is. But just imagine this. Just imagine if, uh, oh, I don't know, let's say Blue Cross. That's a nationwide network. Got cops under contract, uh, cops. They got docs under contract in the thousands, hundreds of thousands. If Blue Cross needed, I don't know, just maybe one big chunk of doctors, they've got openings. They're not able to serve the communities in which they insure Blue Cross. So they got to they gotta go find and get these doctors in there. And so everybody on the board happens to be white. And they say, you know what? We want to hire everybody that looks just like us. So they put this ad out around the nation, and they're looking for doctors, good doctors from every one of the specialties of medicine. I mean, there are hundreds of them. Shrinks, um, brain surgeons, heart surgeons, urologists, I mean, skin, everything. They need to hire across the board. And we're going to give $100,000 to these people. $100,000 bonus just for coming to work for us. That's before you get your first paycheck. We're going to give you a bonus up front. But none of them will be hired if they're not white. How long would that last NAACP would shut it down. They'd file an emergency for an emergency hearing at the U.S. Supreme Court. And that entity, that Blue Cross entity, that group, they would immediately be called before the Supreme Court and just find out the wazoo for what they were doing. And they would lose millions of insured people who would all bail because they don't want to deal with a racist medical entity. What's the difference? Well, I mean, look back in American history. Racism, white people, they invented it. I mean, look what happened in the South. Look what happened. They made slaves. We know all of that. We know every bit of it. There is no question all of that was evil, and it still exists in pockets around the nation. It does. I do not question that. My personal experiences have proved that out. And I'm 70, but I'm not ancient. I grew up in South Louisiana. I moved to Shreveport, Louisiana in the summer of 1970. I lived in Franklin, Louisiana. We didn't have a black school in Franklin. We all went to school together. I played football with black football players, basketball tennis, track. I went to school with black people. We just took it as that's the way it is. Now, granted, that may be one small pocket of people down there. It's not a big area. 
10, 15,000 people, even if you wrap in some of the outlying little towns and boroughs around Franklin, Morgan City, Gaydon. <laughs> there are some places down. Food is wonderful. Oh my gosh. Fishing, hunting is amazing. I guess maybe we were too into being who we were in the context of where we were to be taught racist. And I knew what it was around. I knew it existed. I knew what the KKK was. But I learned, now think about 1970, the summer of 1970. You know darn well racism in this part of the country. There were riots in Shreveport that made national television news. Force busing. The whole nine yard, the whole thing there. People aren't born racist. They have to make a choice to accept it or not. And all of us learned a long time ago, just because it's part of the culture of our families or where we live, the people we're around all the time, doesn't mean it's okay to do it yourself. It's not. It never has been. It never is. Jesus lived in a world full of racism. The Roman people, they were the government, the official government of the area in the Middle East where Jesus grew up and where when he started his ministry at age 30, he lived in that. The Roman people hated Jews. Oh, no, here we go. We're going into anti-Semitism. Well, it is what it is. Anti-Semitism is nothing but racism. Now, how can you say that, Dan? Do you know that according to FBI Director for Christopher Reyna's testimony before Congress last week talking about the ills, the most dangerous things that he is facing, the FBI is facing, he talked about this particular thing, anti-Semitism. 2% of the American population are Jewish, but 60%, 60%, of terrorist actions in the United States or against Jews who are only 2% of the population. And I know throughout our history that number and those comparisons change, and they change across the nation. And it doesn't matter if that number is 100% accurate. Think about it. Just because of something you're born as, you're less of a human being than somebody who was born with white skin or black skin, yeah, you get benefits. This story we just gave you about, if you're black, you get to put down and take a place of what might be a white doctor if that white doctor is better and has better recommendations than you do just because of your skin color. That doesn't happen. Black people don't go that way too. There's no racism in black in the African-American community. Get off of your high horse. There is racism in every ethnicity. Always has been. You know why? Because human beings are human and human beings make choices. Nobody is exempt from that. 
It's wired in our DNA. It's wired in our heads. Now, that doesn't mean because it is that we can't do something about it. Thankfully, most everybody does. But it exists, and we need to be aware of it just to make sure that we know it's out there and to be able to make sure it doesn't take over our minds and hearts. Our minds and hearts. I know you know, southern border illegal activity is rampant. Clay Higgins, South Louisiana, from Opelousas, Louisiana, is a member of that U.S. House of Representatives. He had, oh, here we go, Alejandro Mayorkas, Secretary of Homeland Security, had him in front of him in a community hearing before a committee. And I'm just going to let you listen to this. Mr. Secretary, you stand in your testimony today regarding operational control of our southern border, which by any reasonable man's definition has certainly been lost. You're standing on a word in the, in the legislation that gave birth to the specific loss and all illegal crossing and no one's ever. We'll take a drip. America be okay with that. Would you and your execution of your inaugurated president's policy have given America a flood? We've identified over 11 laws that you violated. Some of the most egregious, the Secure Fence Act, 2006, concerning operational control. Immigration Nationalization Act 236, Section C8, U.S. Code 1226, concerning detention. INA 241, Section A2, U.S. Code 81231, concerning detention. Immigration and Nationalization Act, Section D5, Alpha, 8 U.S. Code 1182, concerning parole. We've given you ample opportunity to, to, to seek some sort of honorable exit from your executive position, sir. We take no pleasure in witnessing you dismantle yourself as a fellow American before the whole country. Your legacy Millions of illegals enter our country. Millions under your watch. Loss of operational control of our border. Aligning DHS policy as an asset. The Mexican cartel drug and human trafficking. The disintegration of our national sovereignty. Destruction of countless thousands of Texas family lives. Overwhelming crime waves sweeping across our country. Over a million criminal runners you call gotaways flooding into America, many carrying backpacks loaded with deadly fentanyl and meth or herding teenage girls into prostitution, sex slave networks across America. 225,000 Americans dead from Mexican cartel drug overdose since you took office two years ago. You and your inaugurated president, but mostly you, sir, because you have your whole mind about you. 
and you have a highly decorated background in border operations, so you're supposed to be the expert. You, sir, are the Secretary of Homeland Security who has failed in your sworn oath to protect our nation from invasion. You had an obligation to execute the president's policies or advise the president if his policies were bringing injury to America. Ultimately, your oath requires you to secure our nation's sovereign border with Mexico and do anything necessary to stop the Mexican cartels from trafficking endless wave upon human wave of illegals into America, along with miserable death, unspeakable grief, graveyards filled from sea to shining sea with the bodies of American sons and daughters dead from fentanyl. You've brought generational trauma upon our country. I believe history will witness your era of service as a transitional time in our country. Well, what was America like before Secretary Mayorkas and what was America like after him? It's stunning that you could sit there and, and smugly grin as if you've not miserably failed your country. We could give you money to, to hire a thousand new border agents. Nobody wants to work for you. They're coming forth. We can't keep up with the whistleblowers that are coming to testify against your command. We could give you money to deploy all sorts of new technology. I have evidence in my file that you've given command to not deploy technology that you currently have because it interfered with the cartel's business model. We're done, done, done with your lies to America. It's shameful what you brought upon our country. Mr. Mr. Chairman, I have no interest in asking the secretary any questions. Mr. He obfuscates and lies. Police in Texas have arrested a suspect in the death of a high school cheerleader. She was found dead inside of the apartment she shared with her mother last week. And he, the assailant, the murderer, alleged murderer, is an illegal alien. December 5th, the mother of 16-year-old Elizabeth Medina, who was a student at Edna High School in the southeastern Texas town of Edna, discovered her unresponsive daughter in the bathtub at the Cottonwood Apartments. Police and first responders arrived at the scene, determined that the young lady was deceased. It spurred a manhunt that culminated with the apprehension of Rafael Govea Romero. Romero, believed to be the individual caught on surveillance video after the murder, was taken into, con- uh, into custody in Schulenburg, Texas on Saturday, an undocumented male. On Saturday, December 9, 2023, with the help of community friends and family, Edna Police Department, in conjunction with the Texas Rangers, were able to apprehend the person responsible for the death of Lisbeth Medina. With countless hours put into this investigation, we were able to locate an undocumented male suspect identified as Rafael Govea Romero in the city of Schulenburg. And the police department and Texas Rangers 
immediately went to Schulenburg, where Romero was placed under arrest for capital murder and transported to Jackson County Jail. I know right where it is. Although Romero is apprehended, we recognize Lisbeth's family and friends are grieving, still need support from the community. The citizens of Edna can now sleep in peace. Jacqueline Medina said she decided to look for Elizabeth after she hadn't seen or heard from him last Tuesday afternoon and that she attended a Christmas parade that her daughter was supposed to be in but didn't see her. She returned to their apartment where she made her terrible discovery. I decided to go look for her. I kept calling her phone nonstop. It would take me straight to voicemail. I called a bunch of people. Nobody knew anything. It wasn't until I walked into the restroom that I was on the phone with my friend asking him to come help me look for her is when I saw her foot and it was in the bathtub. And so I opened the curtains and there she was. This mother said, I don't understand why my God, why would they do this to her? She's such a beautiful, smart, and amazing girl. There's moments where I just can't take it, and then there's moments where I feel like I need to be strong for her. She and her daughter were living in the apartment complex just temporarily after Medina moved from Nebraska to Texas for her job in renewable energy. She and Lisbeth were the only two people had keys to the apartment. I just want everybody to know that was an amazing child, the mom said. She wasn't a normal teenager getting in trouble for doing crazy stuff. She was very mature for her age. She was a caring and loving person who, as far as I know and from the messages I received, she changed a lot of people's lives. I just want everybody to remember her that way and not the way she was taken from me. I thought it was important that that testimony that you just heard where Clay Higgins was just ripping Mayorkas. In fact, Mayorkas wasn't even allowed to say a word. Higgins didn't even ask him one question. But following Higgins, Marcus Luttrell was the next person to question Mayorkas. Does that name sound familiar, Marcus Luttrell? He was a war hero in Afghanistan and they made a book and a movie about him. Lone Survivor, you remember that? Here's a guy that has some uh, credibility regarding all of this stuff, illegal immigration, etc. Listen to the now congressman, Marcus Luttrell, and he goes off on Mayorkas. Good afternoon, Mr. Secretary. How are you today? Good afternoon, Congressman. Um, you know, I had a lot of a line of questioning I was going to ask you, and I got to tell you, just, um, you know, to mimic Ms. Clark's statements, I think this committee needs to do a better job. If we spend as much time solving problems instead of wire brushing ourselves, there's a point in time I forgot you were in here. And I want to ask you face-to-face, man-to-man, will you meet me in the next few weeks so we can hash this out? Because what I hear, what I seem to think that I'm hearing is there's a breakdown in communication and the understanding of either vernacular or language that either makes you responsible for what we have of our expectation. And I, th- I think there's a breakdown there. So will you, I'm asking you, would you meet with me so I can tell you what I'm seeing from my district in Texas? Congressman, I would gladly. Yes or no? Thank you. I would gladly meet with you. Thank you. And... 
I got I got so I represent Texas eight. We are basically a landing zone for the border. Okay. And I want to bring two names to your attention. Mr. Ethan Griffin, age 22, and Mr. Joshua Gillahan, age 14, both perished from fentanyl. Okay. And I don't care what administration you're talking about now, right? I'm past red and blue. Okay. Joshua died 18, eight months ago. Okay. Here, here are my numbers, sir, in my district. In 2020, 325 deaths. In 2021, 538 deaths, 2022, 600 plus, and the number is growing this year. Now, sir, you are the commander of the ship. I have to point my finger at you. I wanted you to address me and say, what would you say to the mothers of these two young men, those babies, because they're in the room? I'm not going to politicize you, sir, but I would ask you, that you when you go to Mr. Pluger's office, I'm going to have those mothers there. Would you please address that? Because here's my issue, sir. Every day, every day, I run into those mamas. Every day. And I have to tell them I'm working on it. Every day in my district, they ask me, why isn't the border secure? What can we do to enhance border security so we are not overwhelmed? And every day, your name comes up. And I can't imagine, after seeing what I've seen today, how challenging it is to you to lead this department. We will do better. I give you my word as a Texan and as a congressman that with this committee, we will do better to provide you guidance as a united body so you can secure our border. That's what we need. Do you agree to that? Congresswoman. Congressman. Whoa. I mean, All right. Hey, back that up, buddy. I identify as a man, and I don't have any pronouns. Congressman. I apologize. Congressman, we need to work together to address the challenges that have been the subject of this hearing. And fentanyl and the scourge of fentanyl is one of them. Let me share with you that the scourge of fentanyl is not new to 2023. It is not. I'm not saying it is. I'm not saying it is. I'm not saying that at all, sir. What I'm saying is these numbers, and again, you heard me say, I don't care what administration you're talking about, these numbers are progressively getting worse. So, you and I and this committee and this body politic need to put aside our differences because it is the American public that are suffering. No wonder they're pissed at us. Yes? Agreed, Congressman. Let me share with you one thing that we could do, just one example of what we can do together. Fund the Department of Homeland Security for $305 million so we have a greater level of non-intrusive inspection technology to detect. I, and I, I agree that we need to fund. However, sir, if we're going to spend, what, $3 million on a private law firm to help you prep for hearings, from what I understand, the documentations that I saw today, $1.5 million already gone out the door. As a fiscally conservative man, if we want to fund a department, let's fund it. And let's, not, let's just not go spending things that we don't need to spend taxpayer dollars on. How about that? Congressman, I, I respectfully um, must say that you are conflating very serious issues with um, other issues that do not relate. Which, which serious issue am I conflating? That, that, the border problem? Well, let me, hey, be careful because I'm kind of on your side right now, but that can switch, especially after you call me a woman. Congressman, I apologize. It's been a number of hours. I've been here with you the whole time. I get it. Yeah. Um, well, let, let me share with you. Your seat 
over these last few hours has been very, very different than my seat. So my level, so I apologize for enough. the error. In you think so? I, I meant you just no think because you're taking darts from this committee and... Oh, didn't you just hear me say that I got to stand in front of those two mothers back there and explain to them how, what I'm doing to make sure their babies and other babies, you know, what, what the reason that they died? I didn't think so. I yield back. That was kind of to the point. I think you would agree. You know what's amazing to me? And I shouldn't be amazed because through the years we've all seen maybe not things just like this happening in congressional testimony hearings, etc. But the actions that are conducted by those who are part of any presidential administration, either elected by the people or hired by members of the administration, all of them are accountable to the American people, every one of them. But they don't give a rip. They don't care. They're pretty much willing to say, you know what? Yeah, we know things are bad. We know people die. We know that happens every day. People are murdered every day. People are killed. Fentanyl, we know all of that. But that's not what is their priority. I bring up this stat all the time. It's because it's Texas is the only state that makes public their criminality that happens specifically by illegal immigrants in Texas. They're there illegally, and they're in one two-year period. There were 400,000 criminal actions that were taken against people. Now, that doesn't mean that was all there were, 400,000. 400,000 prosecutions of illegal aliens for committing acts, illegal acts, from the top all the way down to the bottom, first-degree murder up top, breaking and entering at the bottom. 400,000. Is that okay with Democrats in this administration? Is it okay to President Joe Biden? You're damn right it is. You can't say it any other way. They are purposefully doing this to flood the nation and they don't care about the cost of life, resources, money. It doesn't matter. It's not their money, but they feel like and they act like, they being members of the administration, they act like it's their money and they can just arbitrarily do what they want to do and forget about the law Oh, we're not going to enforce those laws. We think they're not good laws. And all that matters is that's what we think. So we're going to function that way. I am serious. They're not. Oh, they're serious about they want to create a permanent class of Democrat Party voters and they want to do it at our expense and force them down our throats. How long? How long? How many more people have to die? 100,000 a year have died each of the last three years from fentanyl poisoning that came across the southern border on Anthony Mayorkas's watch. That's not enough to kick him out of office? And by the way, Joe Biden has to do that. Now more than ever, you need the truth. 
Real news. Real truth. TNN. The Truth News Network. What is Coca-Cola? Is it an excuse to get together? Since 1886, Coca-Cola has been passing on smiles from generation to generation. We've been giving kids scholarships. Like the early birds and the all-nighters. And you get to enjoy what matters most. Coca-Cola. Drink up. Dear Daddy. Dear Mom. I love you. I miss you. Every year, Snowball Express honors the children of fallen soldiers. Hi, everybody. I'm Tony Orlando. Join me in proudly supporting Snowball Express, a nonprofit that creates opportunities to help heal the children of our fallen heroes. We can never repay the sacrifice our soldiers have made, but we can honor them by giving back to their children. Donate now at snowballexpress.org. Hey, for those of you that weren't at the top of the show today, I told everybody there is some big-time breaking news coming out of Washington, D.C., and much of it at the behest of our very own Steve Baker. And um, he is going to be with us as he is every Tuesday, his second hour of Tuesday's show. He's going to be here tomorrow. But to make sure that you know that he's coming, but not just that he's coming, he sent you a message, a personal message about what this is all about so that you'll be here to hear the rest of the story tomorrow. This is from Steve. Joining us now from North Carolina, soon to be from Washington, D.C., Steve Baker. And no, it is not Tuesday, his regular day. But we want to make sure you know about what is coming on Tuesday on the second hour of the show, which belongs to Steve Baker. Hey there, buddy. Hey, man. How are you today? I am good, and I am anxious. And as we play this and our, vo- our audience listens, they're going to be very curious about what's going on. Big news breaking in D.C., and you're right smack dab in the middle of it. Tell us what's happening. Yeah, on Friday, uh, myself through uh, Blaze, we have released brand new information regarding Capitol Police Officer Harry Dunn and an anonymous letter that he um, wrote and then distributed all the way back in May of 2021, just four or five months after January 6th. And this was a highly political letter. It was a partisan political letter that he used on stolen United States Capitol Police letterhead and sent out. He violated many policies, like several of the department policies in putting this anonymous letter together. And then in addition to that, we have learned uh, through Blaze Media, as I'm required to say, that the... uh, um, uh, the, the impetus for this letter was given to him by Representative Jamie Raskin uh, from Maryland and, of course, a Democrat. And Harry Dunn also happens to live in his district. And so under the direction of Jamie Raskin, this officer violated multiple department policies in drafting this letter anonymously using company time, company resources, 
company letterhead. And then in addition to that, Dan, he went to the Capitol press room and received the assistance in the drafting of this anonymous letter from, as he says, various females in the Capitol press pool. But more importantly, we do have one name that has been revealed to us, and that is the name of CNN um, uh, legal affairs and law enforcement uh, reporter by the name of Whitney Wild, who he handed a copy of the completed letter to, and then she distributed it among other media sources. And then, of course, Jamie Raskin's chief of staff distributed that letter throughout Capitol Hill to all the other chiefs of staff or all of the other Congress members there on that day. And why this is significant is very simply this, Dan, is that not only in the process of doing something that was um, deceptive and violating multiple um, uh, Capitol Police policies, when first confronted about it, Officer Harry Dunn lied, which means that that's called a terminable offense. He should not have been allowed to continue as a Capitol Police officer. He should have been terminated, which more importantly leads us to October of 22 when he testified against the Oath Keepers in that trial. He should have never been allowed to testify in that trial. And at the very least, the defense teams should have been aware of this disciplinary action and they should have been aware of his deceptive nature and that should have been part of the trial if he was, in fact, allowed to testify anyway. That makes two down now, Dan. We have now Harry Dunn, and we have Officer Lazarus, who also um, perjured himself and should not have been allowed to testify in that trial. And that's where we're at today. So I think we can talk about this in great detail tomorrow, if you'd like to. I think Tuesday's going to be a good day in our second hour, don't you think? I think so. <laughs> so... Folks, you just heard another blockbuster. How many people are in jail today because of the perjury of these two officers and uh, the sabotage by a member of Congress, Jamie Raskin? This is going to be fun. Steve's on his way to Washington, D.C. He'll be with us live there tomorrow morning, Tuesday morning. Make sure you're here for the second hour 10 o'clock straight up central, Steve Baker breaks it all open. And by then, he may even have more. You know what surprises me the most about when I hear this? Is that Steve Baker, our guy, I mean, I can't tell you how many times he sat here in the studio with me, and he lives in North Carolina. He's from Shreveport originally. And uh, by the way, he's a great trumpet player. As a matter of fact, he's segueing away from his music career as we speak right now. Friday night, his band, he's got a 14-piece band. And by the way, he is an extremely good trumpet player himself. But they held their last concert together Friday night. He's launched into this full-time professional career now of media investigative media working for Glenn Beck's company, Blaze Network. And it's a big deal. But why isn't anybody else talking about this stuff? This guy's an independent. Well, he works for Blaze, but he's still technically a contributing, um, a contributor, news contributor, 
journalist contributor, whatever the title is, but he doesn't have a big background, a big infrastructure of access to every part of the government. It all began when he decided, I'm going to take my Camry's a photojournalist, a really good one too, and I'm going to go to Washington, D.C. because I want to see a transition from Trump to the next guy. And he was there, and he videoed everything. And he began to tell me, as we were just acquaintances, friends, tell me when we got together, have you seen this? Do you believe this? Some of it I had seen. But he began to peel back the layers and find out how much corruption there is behind the scenes. And he began to look, and he began to investigate. Now, I didn't go January 6th. I wanted to go, but I did not go. And in many ways, I'm thankful that I didn't. But I knew just because the way it all played out and then the narrative that was coming out of the news, because I recorded all of that stuff that day. I didn't watch it that day, but I recorded it and had it there. And as he began to tell me little bits and pieces about what he saw, and then I began to see his videos coming from other places on earth. Now, we do investigative work here, and we're not stuck to just looking at U.S. media. In fact, I'll tell you a little secret. You get much better, cleaner, more accurate stories from three or four overseas news stories about things that happen in the United States than what we hear about those same things from American media. Now, that's been the way it is for years. We picked that up very quickly from when cranking off on truthnewsnet.org, our website. Steve does that 24-7. And major news networks across the world, they licensed his video to bring things to their people about our January 6th. And our news people weren't even covering it. Sad to say, but that's the media world that we live in. They are without question in the tank. Andrea Mitchell, if we had time, I was going to bring you a story about what she reported over the weekend. And she is chagrin because they're having, at their news agency, MSNBC, they're having to talk about Hunter Biden's laptop again. Oh, my gosh. It's a sad world we live in, isn't it? Hey, folks, that's a wrap on the day. Thank you for being here. Steve Baker with us in the second hour tomorrow. But we're going to go celebrate Christmas. Now, that doesn't sound like a Christmas song, does it? My favorite place on the earth is on the beach in an island somewhere. And they have Christmas there, don't they? We're going to... We're going to do that too right now. I want to smell those chestnuts roasting on an open fire. I can peel you a banana if your heart desires. I want an island Christmas this year. I need an island Christmas this year. Up in pear trees, I want you to smear 
Repertoire for the steel drum. 